0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Three people and you're going to have four weeks do something. (laughs) It started out of pure stubbornness, which is great. Without necessarily meaning to, I think we found this quite interesting niche. No, we did some stuff, and the fact that it's invisible means it worked. <laughs> I think art is encoded knowledge and uh, experience. At that time, we were really fascinated by the whole
1: transmedia concept.
0: That was it, not the time-travelling robot idea that we had.
1: Right, let me start this episode with a statement. The technology industry needs to collaborate more with the arts. I'll just let that sit there for a second. (laughs) But in the meantime, hello, I am Sam Fry and welcome to the Technique podcast. I co-host this show with my friend Richard Adams, but that's not all I do. By day, I work as a technology consultant, helping large companies design and deliver compelling digital products. I've found that no matter whether I'm working within government, for an industrial company, a telco, or with an automotive company, wherever, each of these organisations are being challenged to become more innovative. For many years, these industries have been blurring into each other, forcing those companies to transform. Now, innovation might sound exciting, but it can also be daunting, Car companies are trying pay-as-you-go models like phone companies. Phone providers are trying to be like broadcasters or media companies. Industrial companies are becoming environmental champions. Governments are trying to act like startups. There is a blurring of boundaries everywhere. And because of this blurring, as employees, which, let's face it, most of us are, We are now expected to imagine and try to prepare for many highly different futures. And we're asked to do this within the same work environment that has existed for many years. The same offices, often with grey cubicles and divider walls. Also in organisations that are probably lacking in diversity and essentially with a lot of day-to-day factors that limit us in our ability to collaborate and be creative. (laughs) Okay, you're probably thinking, I thought this was a podcast about artists. Why is Sam talking about these large corporations? Well, I strongly believe that when technologists work with artists, we create better experiences. And for the last four years, through these podcasts, Richard and I have been speaking to loads of artists that work with technology. We do that because we love it, and we find people's creative process fascinating. So, now that we've recorded 50 podcasts, I wanted to use this slightly different episode to share some of my reflections as someone that works with businesses on why it's important that we collaborate more with artists. And I'm hoping to show you, whether you're an artist or not, why when technologists work with artists, we create better
0: experiences. (laughs)
1: Okay, so first, let's imagine what would happen if a technology company embraced working with artists. Well, it's not unimaginable. Companies have worked this way in the past. Take Apple, for instance, during the time they were led by Steve Jobs. Now, you probably all know the story. Having co-founded Apple, Steve Jobs was forced out of the business in 1985. Roll on a few years and Jobs would later rejoin Apple in 1997 when they acquired Next, the company he founded in the meantime. You probably know this. But two years before he came back, in 1995, Steve Jobs gave an interview on a television series called Triumph of the Nerds. I'm going to play you a clip as I think it's a fascinating insight into the culture at Apple and how artists were key to this. Part of what made the Macintosh great was that the people working on it were musicians and poets and artists and zoologists and historians who also happened to be the best computer scientists in the world. Amazing right? For Steve Jobs, working with artists was critical to his approach. And it was the same when he returned to Apple and became their CEO. In 2011, during one of his keynote speeches, he talked about the link between technology and the arts. Here is what he says. So, I've said this before. And I thought it was worth repeating. It's in Apple's DNA that technology alone is not enough that it's technology married with liberal arts, married with the humanities, that yields us the result that makes our hearts sing. For Steve Jobs, pairing technologists and artists together was the way to create truly compelling products and experiences. This is it. Apple are often held up as creative pioneers in the tech industry, so I'm sharing these clips as they demonstrate one of the main things I've learned over the last four years of creating these podcasts. By speaking to artists who work with technology about their practice, I've been asking myself, what would it be like if technology companies worked with them more? If technology companies, artists, philosophers, writers, historians, and creatives of all kinds worked collaboratively, Imagine the potential of what they could create. Maybe they would build the next Apple. Or maybe they could begin to resolve some of society's much bigger challenges. Ha. But then I think about what I experience day to day in companies across different industries. Unlike what Steve Jobs describes as the coming together of people from diverse backgrounds, many of these organisations hire people into their technology, strategy or marketing teams from a certain type of background with specific qualifications. Now, of course, I understand that this is useful. They need to make sure that they have the people with the appropriate skills or knowledge for their job. I get that. However, One of the outcomes of this is it is very easy for those organisations to be constrained in their thinking, which leads to them designing very similar products to one another or using the same patterns. You know how it is. We all copy the industry standard or the best in class that we can see. We don't necessarily challenge ourselves to play and experiment enough. So now let's think about what it could look like if an artist or someone from a completely different background was involved in this process. Imagine the different perspectives that they would bring when designing a product. This is something that really struck me in one of our early episodes of Technique, when Richard spoke to a fantastic magician named Stuart Nolan. Stuart started talking about the relationship between magic and software design, which I thought was brilliant. Here he is mentioning a paper by Bruce Tog, Tognazzini. Togg Tog was one of the first interface designers for Apple. And he wrote a paper called Magic and Software Design. And he said that he thought that no art was as similar to graphic interface design than magic. And he pointed out that when those first interfaces, those first visual interfaces were designed, they were referred to as the user illusion. And because we've forgotten that it's a trick, we keep breaking it in different ways. Whereas if you remember that what you're doing is a metaphor and you remember that it's a trick you remember that it's an illusion, you can pay much more careful attention to some of the aspects that make an illusion powerful. This statement kind of blew my mind. Of course it is. A user interface, the computer screens or the phone screens we look at all day, it's all a trick. That's not a button on your screen, it's an illusion. And it's designed to trick you into thinking it works like a physical object. Now imagine how innovative and creative a product could be if you were creating it with magicians. Wow! Here's another reflection I've had while recording these podcasts. It's a trend that has become more and more prominent in the technology industry. It's the desire for certainty. Increasingly, companies are gathering more and more data and using artificial intelligence so they have more facts, more clarity and fewer mistakes. Again, I'm not saying that facts, clarity and fewer mistakes are necessarily a bad thing. Of course they're not. They are extremely useful in many ways and in certain industries are vital, potentially saving lives. But sometimes mistakes are where good ideas come from. And embracing mistakes and failures helps you be more creative. Let's picture what it would be like if we did embrace those mistakes. An artist that spoke to us about this is Mario Klingerman. Mario works with artificial intelligence to make art, and he described his process as trapping the accident.
0: An accident, something that happens that you are not expecting, is very important to, to make creative progress, because our imagination is pretty much limited by what we know, so we can always just interpolate, and having something like throwing oil paint on a canvas or having randomness in a computer program or errors happening in that process. That is what gives you suddenly something, puts a new image or something in front of your face where you then start recognizing, oh yes, this is actually
1: where I want to go. For artists like Mario, mistakes are a catalyst for creativity. Could you imagine working in a company where you were deliberately trying to break the technology just so you could come up with ideas wouldn't that make it a much more playful and innovative place to work that is one of my main takeaways from interviewing so many artists over the last few years they've brought a different perspective to the technology that i simply wouldn't have come across otherwise in the corporate world we often focus on optimizing goals optimizing the business the commercials or our internal processes This can hold us back from asking other questions that will help us be more creative. Artists think about and bring agency to other topics, the wider societal challenges that technology can bring, the ethics of what we are doing, and our vision for society. So if you are listening to this, here is my ask of you. Wherever you work, make sure you find ways to actively work with artists. It could be anything. Run an event, invite them to an event, commission them to create something or to be involved in your explorations. Whatever it is, find a way to bring them into the conversation. So going forward, I'm planning to do this even more. Firstly, I'm going to create opportunities for more collaboration. This is something that many of the artists we've spoken to are great at. A fantastic example of this is the team at Fast Familiar. Dan Barnard, one of their theatre directors, talked about his experience of first working with the technologists in their team, Joe McAllister.
0: Early on, and certainly in the early weeks of working on the Justice Syndicate, it was very much Joe being like, OK, so what do you need me to do technologically? Mm-hmm yes I can build that no I can't build that we would quite sort of narrow in what our jobs were whereas I think over that project and then on the projects that we've been developing since it's much more not everyone does everything because I can't code but much more like we all involved in the sort of creative and narrative decisions and then we'll set each other tasks and then go away and, and work on bits and then bring
1: them back I love this idea of people coming at projects from completely different perspectives and how that challenges you and teaches you to understand those other perspectives better. Dan explained how working with Joe gave him a better understanding of what is possible with technology.
0: I think in a way, having an awareness of what the technology can do allows your imagination to think of things that you might not let yourself imagine otherwise because you'd just be like, well, that's just not possible. Whereas when you have a sense of what's possible, you're like, oh, I could do this and could technology do this?
1: We should totally embrace this kind of collaboration. What we should also embrace is the just-get-started attitude that many artists have. Rachel Briscoe, another lead artist in the Fast Familiar team, talked about how they experiment with paper prototypes which means they save time and money in the long run.
0: You know, so like testing really early and also making sort of paper prototype versions so that you're testing the mechanics before you invest in any of the technology, rather than being like, yeah, let's build this really expensive thing. And like, oh, crap, people don't understand what they're being asked to do.
1: (laughs) Ellen O'Hara, a brilliant creative business coach that works with artists, had a really similar mindset. Let's just do it. Let's just make a project where we can just start and that's, that's my personal approach. <laughs> but more than this, Ellen made me appreciate how valuable the skills of artists could be to companies. Here she is talking about how, as an artist, you have to be comfortable with uncertainty. But a lot of artists, they wouldn't necessarily describe themselves as entrepreneurial, but if you break down the, some of the qualities and the fact that, yes, there's research, but there's definitely a bias to action and there's definitely really high levels of resilience and I think there's definitely a high degree of feeling really comfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty and all of these things that when we talk about creativity what does that really mean to me it's all of that stuff it's problem solving and it's about acting when we don't know what's going to happen next it's great right finally I want to find ways to ensure people from all backgrounds are represented in the conversation For me, technology has the opportunity to make the world a better place. But the only way you can truly design that better world is by including voices from all parts of society. I want to leave you with this, from the poet Victoria Bennett. We were talking about representation in poetry and gaming. Victoria explains how giving the underrepresented a platform to speak will allow others like them to come forward. There's a big upsurge of younger people buying poetry, reading poetry, and that came about through called the Instagram poets, putting poetry in a different platform, sharing it in a different way, talking about things that, that people went, yeah, that I connect with that, That that's my voice. And then suddenly there's a whole new group of poets and they're writing in different ways. Or, But again, you know, I'm going to bark on about being the old middle-aged woman in rural Cumbria because it's like there's an older voice that needs to be present. And it needs to be in there in gaming and it needs to be there in storytelling in, in, on all platforms. Hopefully, if I've shown you anything in this episode, it's that the technology industry needs to collaborate more with the arts. As I genuinely believe that we will build better, more meaningful experiences. So together, let's start doing it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Technique Podcast. This was a little bit of a different format to usual as I wanted to share some reflections now that we have reached the 50th episode. It would be great to hear what you thought of the style. You can get in touch with us in a couple of places. Firstly on Twitter where we are Technique UK and also on Instagram where we are Technique Podcast. If you liked the episode, it would also be great if you can subscribe and give the podcast a five-star rating. That really helps us in the podcast charts. We've talked a little bit on this and on recent shows about the plan to mix up the types of episodes that we share. Most of them will still be one-to-one interviews with artists about technology, which is what we've always done. However, we are planning to do some more episodes a bit like this, where we share some wider thoughts about some specific topics. In particular, we are looking forward to releasing a fantastic miniseries on design thinking over the upcoming weeks where we speak to a mixture of artists, academics and business professionals working around that subject. So please make sure that you listen to that. We've really worked hard on it and we think it's going to be super interesting. So until then, or whenever the next one comes out, I want to say thank you again for listening and take care of yourself. Goodbye. Design thinking has exploded into the workplace of the 21st century, putting humans at the heart of design, or does it? Isn't it just the post-it-note workshops? More importantly though, where did it come from? How did it become such a massive industry and where on earth is it going? Is design thinking what is taught in design schools? And can it be used as a philosophy for the future? Find out more as we, Richard Adams and Sam Fry, explore these ideas with experts in the field on our first Technique mini-series about design thinking. Subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode.